When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement. But this year, Manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Make sure you look your best this spring by using code BELLY20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. So tame your mane with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. The sun is peeking back out, which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again. So use the kit to make sure your scruff looks award-winning, whether you have glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. Save 20% off and free shipping with the code BELLY20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code BELLY20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Maynard. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Well, hello, hello, hello. It is Thursday night, which means it's time for another edition of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Thanks for joining us live on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe, hit that little bell notification. You get notified when we have new content available to you. We'll, you know, we'll have comments flowing throughout the show. We'll get to them if we possibly can. Make sure you download us, though, on your favorite podcast app. You can stay up to date with the show when you're on the go. Uh, we have a big guest here. We will properly introduce him in just a second. We are talking the AFC North. We've gone through now, let's see, uh, the NFC East, the AFC East, the NFC North last week, and now AFC North. So this actually marks the midway point of our team profile series. So very excited to get it kicked off here. Chris, he get he's on with the show. Chris, you had a little technical difficulties last week. Are you okay this week? Are you good? We're going to hopefully, I'm hopefully I'll be here more than 30 seconds about jumping on. I play I jumped on, jumped off last week. Some people were asking if I just banned you from the show altogether. I was like, no, 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 no. I would never, I would never do that to Chris. It just, he just muted me forever, guys. That's what really happened. In the <laughs> All right. Well, let's get our guest introduced. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. He's in the top right corner of your screen. He's the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Dan Klaskin. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Thanks for the intro. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, man, I'll tell you, Chris, 30 seconds. I, I've never been cut off quicker than that. So I think you beat my own record before I got the dump button. <laughs> <laughs> the dump button is our friend in radio. But, uh, 
30 seconds might be a new record. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had we had Bob on last week and he was like, Hey, didn't you used to have another co-host? I'm like, Yeah, he just, you know, didn't couldn't work out today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to that. The you know, my co-host not showing up for things when I'm expecting it. Uh, you know, James, I, I only tease him because he might be watching, but it, even if he's not, I'd say it if he was here. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do have a great show for you guys today. A lot of info. I like to jam-pack as much content as I possibly can just to make our ears bleed in the hour, hour and a half that this thing typically goes. Uh, but we do have, like I said, AFC North. There's a lot to talk about here. We have coaching changes to talk about. The big one to kick off this show. And this, Chris knows this, this has been a big bugaboo point for me because I'm not buying the idea that Todd Mockin somehow is the key to unlocking this Ravens potential juggernaut offense that everybody keeps telling me they're going to have now because, well, Greg Roman's not the one calling the plays. I mean, he had a run first offense all three years that he was coaching in Georgia, first and foremost. And he's never really had that good of an offense when you go back to his NFL track record. I mean, the best he ever had scoring wise was 12th back in 2018 with the uh, Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick with the quarterbacks that year. Outside of that, he finished 18th twice and 22nd another time. That was with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, just because they're going to pass more and they will than what they do with Greg Roman doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. So I have my reservations. I'd love to get your take, Dan. Well, I mean, it's addition by subtraction. Is I think why many of the at least fantasy managers are excited about the move, right? I, you're, the Ravens aren't going to stop running the ball, as you said. I mean, John Harbaugh, I mean, they like to run the ball. And we obviously saw from Mon, uh, Todd Monaghan in his last stop that they did like to run the ball in 2019 there in Cleveland. They still were 12th in rushing yards versus 22nd in passing. But I will say that for me, uh, it was a little too slanted. Roman obviously had to play to the players with him as well, right? They built a roster to fit the system. What I like the most about all of it, frankly, um, just from a pure fantasy projection standpoint, is I do expect a faster pace of an offense. More plays being ran obviously creates these opportunities. But let's face it here. It's, I don't care who the coordinator is. They need a healthy Lamar Jackson to really make their plans work because without him... It's all going to go awry. So I am optimistic. I think I would say this, Dan and Chris, that for me, it's definitely a positive impact on the offense as a whole, and, and particularly from a fantasy perspective. For the passing game that does have more weapons now. Are they great weapons? No, but it is improved weapons. And uh, so I think there are some positives to take from his landing there. Chris, I know you're a more of a proponent than I am when it comes to Todd Mocken. I'm just going to say a couple of short things. Number one, is Stenser Bennett in the pros right now? So that, and that, I say that because... <laughs> I know it took a big goal, but the, he is. And he went in the fourth round. And this is a guy's a walk-on. And my point being that you if you could take a guy like that, that imagine you go Lamar Jackson. Or looking back at Cleveland, you know, time period you kind of highlighted, name the quarterback for those teams during that, to the time period. And maybe that's why you're 22nd in the passing attack. And also the weapons you have at your disposal. Now I I agree with Dan's point um, that you know th you know this is better weapons, but you know how great are they? But I also look at weapons that you've had historically, particularly in Baltimore, and they've made better players out of you know lesser talent. So I'm actually excited for what Lamar he has around him, and I, I'm actually thinking Todd Mocking might be the right guy for the right job. Well, let's talk about Lamar. <laughs> And the quarterbacks in general while we're at it. 
So with Lamar Jackson, my question I was going to put to the panel here today is does he have the potential still to be the QB one overall? I mean, he his rushing hasn't lessened, right? He was on, on pace for the third most career rushing attempts he had. Uh, his The most weapons on paper that he's had during his career here. He was QB six in a points per game basis last year. On the flip side, and Dan alluded to this, he hasn't really played more than 12 games each of the last two seasons. His weapons are better, but not really the healthiest bunch outside of Mark Andrews. We'll have to see what happens with Zay Flowers. And with the new offensive scheme, will there be as much rushing for Lamar Jackson? Right now, just FYI, FFPC ADP has been QB5 and has him actually been taken in the late third round as of this moment. So we'll go to Dan and then we'll go to Chris. Does Lamar Jackson have the QB1 overall potential still? Uh, does he have QB one ceiling? Yes. Uh, would I wager any type of money at any odds that he'd hit it? Uh, absolutely not. And it boils down to, again, the injuries and not if, if we've talked about, yeah, he's going to miss games, but if they want to prevent the injury, they have to run less. And you're talking about a player here that he's averaged only 199 passing yards as a pro. I mean, per game. So I know he had his MVP year, but every other year, even when he's healthy, the numbers aren't like it's huge. So for me, if you're dropping him a little bit less, even if it's just 20 yards per week rushing less, uh, I think his it's very hard for him to hit that QB1 ceiling, That uh, especially with a team that we know they do want to run the football. We know they do have a great defense. They're in a division we're going to talk quite a bit about here today that it's a bruising division. I mean, there are some nice elite fantasy weapons in it, some powerful offensive uh, players. But at the end of the day, it's a hard-hitting black and blue division here in the AFC North. And so I just don't see it, man. I don't see Lamar playing those games and putting up those stats because that play leads to it. So that price right now is, and I'm you know looking at the quarterback position as a whole, I, we are seeing a shift in, in across all uh, formats, all leagues where the people are paying a higher premium at quarterback. If you want a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, you're definitely going to pay a second or third round price. I've seen it across the board and I've been drafting like a fool. So uh, the question to me is, is do I want to take Lamar Jackson there where he's going or wait a couple rounds and take a guy like Burrow who we'll talk about here, or even a little bit longer and a Trevor Lawrence and be investing in other positions because the, further up he goes and drafts the less likely I'll be inclined to invest at all in fantasy and Mr. Lamar Jackson. Just to hit on a point that you just brought up real quickly, Dan, because you're right across the board, people are now starting to push the, get the quarterback early all of a sudden. And I, I my counter to that has been, quarterbacks are much more valuable when it's a down year in scoring in general, which is what we had last year. But when we have scoring for everybody all around, well then taking that quarterback late, which is what we have preached for years in the fantasy industry is the better move. I'm still on the, I'm not going to take quarterback in the first three rounds. Where are you on that? Well, I mean, streaming, first of all, I'd say any strategy is a winning strategy in fantasy if you execute it with the right players. And sometimes it comes down to luck, let's face it. For me, the waiting on the quarterback strategy in a single format is an outdated philosophy because you also have to get the right streaming quarterback in each week. And there's a definitive difference between just rolling out Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen every week and then trying to figure out if it's Kirk Cousins or Jared Goff that's going to have the blow-up game. So it depends on the format. In Superflex Leagues, I definitely like to have at least one elite quarterback. Obviously, I would say uh, in best ball formats where 
you don't have to get lucky on the guess. I'm probably more inclined to wait, but you see in a lot of best ball leagues, people want to have three quarterbacks. So you start getting a different, so it is different, but I don't want to be the first person in my league to take a quarterback, but I definitely probably want to be in the first five or six and Lamar Jackson. If he's fallen another round or two later than he is right now is a guy that would fit the bill for me, but I'll take my chances with Joe Burrow or Justin Fields and, and, and another one of these guys next year down a couple rounds later, frankly. Well, I don't get too much in the weeds here. I want to get Chris's take here on Lamar Jackson in just a second. For me, the guy I've been looking at, I'm not waiting all the way to take a streaming quarterback. That part I agree with you on, but I am looking to take uh, Justin Herbert in the sixth round. I just feel like that's more valuable of a move than taking these top I like five that. quarterbacks I like are that. going in the third round. Herbert is certainly in that tier of I'll wait another round or two longer and go this guy for me as well. Yeah, that, that's kind of what, I, what I'm looking at. I, I agree with you on the... Streaming the quarterback, that might not be the way to go anymore, at least as of now. Chris, I want to get back to you. Your take on Lamar Jackson. What do you think? I'm st- I'm still think Lamar has that potential to be number one quarterback. Now, do you spend the draft capital over a Josh Allen? Not necessarily. But I think it's easy to start debating once you get to look at Jalen Hurts because we all know what we talk about fantasy is the legs win in football, especially at the quarterback position. And if you can run, get your 60, 70 yards, that's equivalent to a touchdown. I think Lamar Jackson has a chance to do it. You know, if if healthy, that's a that's a huge if. But it's his quarterbacks in general. You know, everybody can get hurt. Um, I think Lamar is going to see some reduction in the rushing attempts, but I don't think that stops from Lamar Jackson from being explosive rusher that he is. Where you see Michael Vick take less and still be able to produce with those legs, you can get 60, 70 yards on a play with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. You don't need to necessarily run the ball 14, 15 times with him carrying the ball. And with the weapons they have in place, he can get back to being one of the touchdown leaders, which he was in the MVP season that Dan mentioned before. So to me, Lamar does have that upside that I'm going to take a shot on after Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, because these other guys, you need them to be great week in, week out throwing the ball. Justin Herbert is a great guy when he's good, but if he doesn't throw for 300 yards, then what do you get out of Justin Herbert? So that's where I just kind of think it is hard to kind of overlook some of these guys who are going to be consistent guys. Lamar was number six last year. And I thought he played terribly last year. So overall, I think this has got a chance to guy that can, you know, definitely be worth some of the draft capital, depending on what the board is. Dan, I mean, we preach that a lot. You know, let the value kind of fall where it is. If every your quarterback's player, the guy on your board, you want to take him. Every yeah. player, every single player will end up on a team of mine if he falls far enough, right? Well, yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Chris, one quick question, then we'll move to Joe Burrow. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson with the price tag there. I'm curious. Right now, I got to go with Jalen Hurts just because you, you, you've seen this already with Jalen Hurts. they got better offensive line, already proven, better weapons in place already. So I love you know, what, what the Ravens have done, but I think the Eagles' offense is already you know a fine-tuned machine. Yeah, just 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 curious because you have those three quarterbacks, the ones going in the first two rounds pretty consistently. The guy going right next to him is Joe Burrow. And that's who we're going to talk about now. And uh, really excited about this guy for a lot of reasons. This is Dan's team, so I'm going to let him run with it. And Dan, I guess my question to you is just simply, have we seen a breakout season from Joe Burrow yet? I mean, I know he had 35 touchdowns and almost 4,500 yards last year. I still feel like there might be more. Oh, I mean, I think there is another level, right? Uh, I And it really boils down to the biggest question I think fantasy managers need to be uh, figuring out how they figure an answer to is, what does an extra second mean for Joe Burrow and these receivers? Because that, in my opinion, is what this improvements on offensive line are going to be, particularly if we're looking at the unit that barely lost in Kansas City in the AFC Championship, down three starting offensive linemen. Yeah. The addition of Orlando Brown, even though it was a non-fantasy position, and if if he stays healthy and, and, do, and does what the Cincinnati coaches are expecting and saying that they think he's capable of, 
if that happens, that move at the end of the fantasy season, we're going to look back as one of the five biggest moves in all football at impact in fantasy because Joe Burrow with time, if Joe Burrow had him in, in the Super Bowl 56, the Bengals would have won the Super Bowl. Uh, they, I think they would have definitely made a deeper run. But you look at Joe Burrow, and what's great about Burrow is he is obviously gets better as the season goes on, the bigger the stage. The Bengals, I think, this year have a much more favorable schedule as well, um, particularly they get to go against all the AFC South teams in there. I mean, there's still some tough games, but uh, I think my concern is if the schedule is a little bit easier and there are some games on there where they will be pretty heavy favorites is does he need to keep passing throughout a game, but he's got 40 touchdown passing upside. I will say this. uh, It's not just the additional Orlando Brown, but I mean, now you move your left tackle to right tackle. Uh, They've got some guys that stepped up down the playoff stretch. Now that are bench pieces. Lyle Collins, a big season ago coming off an injury. The Bengals have they're comfortable up with their depth on their offense line. They didn't even spend a single draft pick on it. So um, give Joe Burrow time, and that's where I think the improvement takes a step forward. That's exactly what I have in my notes. The improved offensive line, the thought that for the first time in his career, Joe Burrow might actually have an average amount of time to throw the football is a scary proposition. And let's not forget here, Jamar Chase injury in the middle of that season where he's missing four weeks and not 100% the same player, and Joe Burrow still putting up 35 touchdowns. I, I, I can't call anything a guarantee, but I feel as close to saying a guarantee for Joe Burrow going over 40 touchdowns as I do any player coming into this year. Chris, where are you at? I'm going to be in the same pace, Dan. I think this, you know, I tear my guys based on the guys who are throwers only in a sense, and he's one of my top throwers. Joe Burrow's not going to get you a whole lot with his legs. He can scramble here or there, but he's going to be one of those guys who's going to, you talked about approaching a 40 touchdown Plateau. Can you get around 5,000, you know, 45 to 5,000 yards? I think this is possible with this offense. You talked about the half a second. Also, the threat to play action. I think you're going to see this offensive line be better, you know, throughout, as Dan kind of alluded to. And that's going to help also for the running attack, which is going to help the play action. Joe Burrow is fantastic when he has play action motion with these receivers and these guys who can get on top of you. T. Higgins is in the contract here. He's got something to grind out there too. So I think there's a lot of guys who are hungry, a lot of guys who can put up points. <clears throat> One of the things I liked about you know fantasy-wise with Cincinnati is even if they get up big, you don't really see them kind of take their foot off the accelerator in a sense. They, they still take their shots. Joe Burrow looks for that you know that deep threat throughout the game. So I like that. At some point, you the Chiefs do with Mahomes. So fantasy-wise, you love that extra bomb, just you know, just kind of extra points to get the end. So I love Joe Burrow as one of the guys after those kind of top-tier guys we talked about. All right, so we, we talked about two guys that we love, that we're confident in as far as being high-end fantasy productive players that you want to draft early on. Now let's talk about somebody that has a tremendously wide range of outcomes, and that's Deshaun Watson with the Cleveland Browns. We all know how horrible he was shaking off the rust But I guess he was so bad that now some of us find ourselves asking the question, is he just a bad to average quarterback now? Will he be able to recapture what he was in Houston? And just to kind of illustrate how bad it was, I mean, the guy had 6.5 yards per attempt last year when he was career 7.8, a 58 completion percentage when he's a 67, normally speaking. By the way, his worst year before that was, was 62, his rookie year. He's never been that bad. The one silver lining I did take out of Deshaun Watson last year was that he still averaged about six rushes a game. So he wasn't afraid to use his likes coming back off the long hiatus. Now, can he get back to being the passer, Dan? 
Well, uh, I mean, I definitely think the yes is the answer. The bigger question is how much will he improve from last year, right? It, how much is it system oriented? I think if again, if looking at we're talking cost here, and and that's how we assess where value is. I mean, just in underdog drafts uh, in the past week, you're talking about QB nine is what he's looking at right now. Eight pick eighty three overall. So, I mean. In, Best balls again, they're going off the board a little bit, but if QB9 off the board, I think it, the risk is baked in the ADP for him. So I do think, yes, I think Deshaun Watson's going to look better than he did last year. The, how close he comes to looking like the Deshaun Watson during his last good year in Houston, that is that is a mystery that I'm not sure I understand the riddle to. I do think that this is a team in general that is being underrated. Uh, and under undervalued right now, especially I, almost every single position. I think you look at the ADP. I think the Browns are screaming undervalued, and a team that I'm buying in on as a whole. So I guess that means I like Watson if that's where I'm getting a quarterback at in the draft. But he's a back end top ten on my board with a guy that I think does take a step forward from what we saw last year. Yeah, I also have him ranked right about where the ADP is at QB nine at the moment, and. and- we know he has top five potential. He's done it before. And he's never been a quarterback to get you there that needed the high volume. I mean, he averaged about 32 pass attempts a game when he was in Houston. It was about the efficiency that he brought with that. I do believe he has the weapons. Some of them we're going to talk about later on the show, who I'm quite excited about, to your point. Chris, what's your take here on Deshaun Watts? Does he get back to it, or are you just like, oof, I don't, I don't know. I know you don't like Kevin Stefanski, so I'd be curious to see what your reaction to Dan's take there. No, I don't like Stefanski, but I also like what this, and I've made this point before, Deshaun Watson owns his team right now. So until that contract gets farther along, this is his decision-making. And I think that if you're built to be able to make Deshaun Watson look good, I think what we saw last year was as bad as it can possibly get. And still towards the end of the season, I think he had that good, decent game against Washington fantasy-wise that people were, you know, if you, you ran him out there, you had you talk about streaming quarterbacks at one point, that was Deshaun Watson for you. So... I think this guy is a guy that has the potential. Dan, you mentioned the legs. He runs about six times a game. I think he's going to take some of the rust off of that. Cleveland's line's really good. Um, I like the weapons, what they did throughout. We're talking about the weapons. We'll talk a little bit more as we get on the show. But I like what they really did in the draft. They reiterated with some of the trade moves they made. I think he's got a plethora of weapons, a good offensive line in a division where Dan talked about before. You're going to score points. I know it's the black and blue division historically. But we've seen his Pittsburgh defense, and Cleveland defense has not kind of lived up to that height. Uh, even the Ravens. So you can both you can kind of light up these teams at points and you can, you know, have to score with some of these quarterbacks. So I do think Deshaun Watson is one of those guys that has been like my, my quiet guy. You know, I want everybody to keep talking bad about him so he can just follow me because I think Deshaun Watson is a great value. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I love the fact that his efficiency metrics are right in line with like Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. I'm just going to keep pushing that. You know, when we go to the expo, I'm going to keep pushing that. Like, yeah, no, no, no. He stinks. Totally. Let's bring his ADP down to like that QB 12 and let's so I can get some steals later on in the draft. One, one, 100 percent. Let's talk about a quarterback who I actually do think he stinks, but I want to play devil's advocate here. And somebody made this argument to me, and I think it's a valid enough argument to make that you can make the case that maybe Kenny Pickett could have a Daniel Jones. Like oh, I knew you were going to say that. Oh, it makes me break a little bit in my he mouth. He could. I mean, he had four carries a game. That's uh, per game. That's That was ninth amongst quarterbacks on a per-game basis. We like the little added rushing. He does have good weapons on paper. Right now, I mean, 80, best ball-wise, he's going like round 18, so it's not like you're paying anything for him. So that's the argument for him. I'm not on that argument. Chris, go ahead. You seem very passionate. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not as big a pickup fan, but the Daniel Jones argument isn't terrible, 
Pittsburgh does have a plethora of weapons. I love what they have. The receivers, I like their backs. I like, you know, the offensive line upgrades. I think they can score points. I'm not a picket fan. I've never been shy kind of saying that. As a fantasy, you know, value, I do think he's the classic streaming guy. Um, but if you're going to go, you know, look for a guy, Sam Darnold had a pretty decent start to, you know, two seasons ago when he ran the ball a little bit here and there and was able to kind of make some things with the weapons they had in place. So maybe Pickett is a guy that maybe you should be sniffing or looking at. But on the flip side, is Matt Canada still the offensive coordinator? I believe yeah. so. And as a result of that, I haven't trusted what Pittsburgh's put off, you know, week in, week out offensively because they just seem to have no rhyme or reason what they do. So for me, Matt Canada is why I'm not touching Pickett myself, even though I'm not a fan of the players either. Yeah, you, you, you said it there, Dan. I, I hear what you guys are saying about Pickett. I, I do like what I saw from him down the stretch uh, of last season. Uh, Pittsburgh in general, I think they did some nice things in the offseason. I still think they're maybe a year away from seriously contending in the division uh, that, in my opinion, is loaded uh, from top to bottom. Pickett last year, they went 5-1 and one those last six games, and he passed the eyeball test for me in those contests. He had some really nice late drives with the Raiders and the, and the Ravens games there. And most importantly, he only threw one pick in those six games and was only sacked eight times. He had some good decision-making some things that I really didn't rate him very highly on that he sort of changed my opinion, frankly. So now from a fantasy perspective, I mean, the numbers aren't going to be spectacular. Pittsburgh only scored 28 touchdowns last year. So even though they're taking a step forward, uh, it's still mid pack at best here, but in a super flex league, uh, especially one where I have a high end QB one Pickett's a fine guy to have in there as a back end QB two uh, with maybe somebody else. And uh, I definitely think that, uh, he's got a chance to still develop into something better than he is. And Pittsburgh is committed to him after spending first round capital. So I think in deeper leagues, he's worth a, a spot on a roster and uh, a guy that, you know, is we're going to see another, the jury's out on, but you know, we're going to get at least another good full year of it here on an, what I expect to be a little bit of an improved football team. <laughs> All right. So on that, let's dive into the running backs with Nick Chubb, my I advocate for Nick Chubb every year. This man gets disrespected every year because because he doesn't line up as a wide receiver thirty percent of the time. Like I don't I, I don't understand it. And now this year, there's no Kareem Hunt. Jerome Ford's not going to demand the ball the way Kareem Hunt did. He's going to be more of a handcuff, a valuable handcuff, no doubt about it. But I don't see a rotation here. We talked about you know Stefanski and Deshaun Watson and how they might be throwing the ball a little bit more than what Stefanski normally did in the past, which that in and of itself could alleviate the need to rotate rotate running backs, excuse me, as heavily and keep them fresh that way. I don't think it's going to be an issue. He catches the ball 73% of the time. No, you're not going to line him out wide, but he's not brick hands when you throw it to him out of the flat and now if i don't have to worry about kareem hunt stealing his touches within the five yard line which has always been the biggest issue over the last couple of years i love i love nick chubb and right now he's still being drafted more in the second ish round yeah i love that i'm gonna get nick chubb in the second round all day every day what about you dan I'll give you a verbal retweet on everything you said there. Uh, running backs in general, you're seeing stud running backs going in round two and round, even into round three with all the receivers going off the board. And Chubb is certainly one that uh, is a safe pick at that value, right? Everything is said. I'm looking for guys that I don't have to worry about competition. I mean, durability is not a huge concern there. They, they check a lot of boxes with the line. So 
I'm not going to, I did miss say it earlier that everybody on Cleveland is going to under being undervalued. I don't think Chubb's being undervalued, but he's definitely a guy I'm still buying. So I'm buying all the Browns at their current ADP is an accurate statement, but I, I do think Chubb's based off the running back market is, is about in the right spot and certainly a guy worth the pick there. Yeah. You might not be undervalued, but I still love his value. Chris, Absolutely. anything to add? I don't want to say I love his value because he's one of the guys who has the least amount of question marks next to his name. I think for myself, Danny talked about all the things about positive about Nick Chubb. There's not a whole lot of negatives right now going into the season with Nick Chubb. You got a better offensive line, got better more talent around you. Deshaun Watson shouldn't be as rusty, and you were you've been a great player to have in your own teams the last few years fantasy wise. Why can't it continue? To, and he's not going to get better. So here's a guy who's usually kind of in the Nick Chubb range, but there seems to be a bit of a debate, a bit of juries out here when it comes to Najee Harris. Because, well, you're worried about his inefficiencies. People are worried about Jalen Warren maybe getting a bigger chunk of the pie, quite possibly. When I look at Najee Harris, I feel more on the side of him being slightly undervalued or, like we kind of just used with Nick Chubb, me loving his value more so than anything else. His ADP right now puts him in the third round. That's lower than you've been able to get Najee Harris first couple of years of his career. And, I mean, what, 2021, he finished the RB4 last year. Despite having a Liz Franck injury, despite having a terrible offensive line, despite unfortunately still having a terrible offensive coordinator, he finished the RB14. Oh, by the way, that was with Jalen Warren getting 16% of the team carries and 6% of the team targets on a per game basis, which is not a lot, but that's more than what previously Harris had to deal with in his first year. Ultimately, I'm not overly worried when it comes to Najee Harris. So, Dan, are, are, what, what side of the fence do you fall on? Are you worried about Warren taking away too much volume? Because he does need the volume because he's not efficient. That one, That's one thing I will knock against him. Well, I'm, I'm, to be clear, I'm not all worried about Warren. I mean, I, I see the hype. I see the uh, ADP rising. And so there must be some buzz to it. But, I mean, let's look at Harris just on some of the things that I care about. I mean, big runs, big plays, and scoring at the goal line. And I'm looking down, and what am I seeing? I'm seeing a guy that had one run one single run of 20 plus yards last year and in those goal line carries where i thought he'd be the man he only converted on four out of eight so you look at the steelers they were successful on 33 of 38 such plays but only four of eight with him uh so i mean the guy only scored seven of the team 16 rushing touchdowns so if we're talking fantasy value and scoring the touchdowns there's a big value to me Big plays is a big value to me. Those are two things I look for at running backs. He didn't check either box last season. Now, can he show signs of improvement? Sure. Uh, he's he a guy I'm targeting? Absolutely not. Well, here's what I there's be my counteraction to that. Despite all that, which I totally agree with, again, it goes back to he needs the volume. He does. They start taking away volume, he's done for. But he still finished RB14, and this offensive line did get better. I mean, they added Samalu from the Eagles. They drafted Broderick Jones. I think that might have a lot to do if, with if the goal line. If you're here. drafting running back at pick, at where he's going off the board. I mean, you're looking at guys like basically Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, That's fair. Walker, Joe Mixon. Uh, you know, even in some cases, he's going right around the same time as Jameer Gibbs. I mean, depending on the ADP, I'm just saying, like, is he a guy that, I, yeah, if he's in that group of guys, I mean, he's just not very high on the list. Like, I don't know. They all have their baggage. I'm not saying they don't, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, is he's an RB two? He's an RB two. Uh, I will agree to that. Well, Chris, Dan just listed off an interesting group of names. Where would you have Harrison amongst that list? 
I think higher than most of them for maybe Joe Mixon just because the offense he's going to be in. Um, I, I, I mean, I hear you all Dan just said, but I also, you said seven touchdowns rushing and just alluded Dan's, you know, when he was talking about the Liz France injury, Najee Harris was Najee Harris for the first least four to six weeks of that, you know, the season last year. But what you saw when you talked about the Kenny Pickett numbers pick up, you know, towards the end of the season is no, no inter one interception. Look at Najee Harris's rushing totals during that period of time. And that's where you're going to see the correlation. This team is built around Najee Harris in a sense. And even if we've heard Anthony McFarlane, we've heard tons of different running backs through Pittsburgh, all get the hype of, you know, who's going to steal that guy's job. But push comes to shove. Usually Tomlin sticks to his guy 75-25. And unless that's somehow it's going to magically change, I think Warren can get his touches, get out there. But Najee Harris is still a guy who's going to have great production. And seven touchdowns, you had a healthy Najee Harris throughout the whole season. I think it's easy double digits. I think we talked about with other guys. Are those guys getting double digit touchdowns next year? Probably not. A lot of guys are coming off of injuries. Gibbs is a guy that everybody's hyping on because of what you look for. But, you know, Jamal Williams scored all those touchdowns in Detroit last year. So yeah. I don't think he's playing that role. So the I, thing I, is, I think the, the second half of the season, he did do well. I mean, there was an uptick in the rushing yards, but he didn't catch a lot of balls. I mean, he, only, he averaged 1.9 catches in the second half of the season alone. So, I well, mean, I'm hoping that, I mean, I was hoping he'd come in and be more like Lev Bell, right? You know, you know, a guy that was doing a little bit of both. So I'd like to see him catch a few more balls out of the backfield is what I'm getting at. But I don't think Pickett likes throwing to the running backs. He didn't in college as much either. Real quick, Dan, just to that, he didn't throw to Deontay Johnson in the end zone either. So I don't know if that necessarily, I think Deontay Johnson scored <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point, Chris. That's a fair point, my friend. Pickett didn't throw any touchdowns to anybody. <laughs> so we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so you mentioned Joe Mixon, and this is, you know, I think we're all a little surprised after all the offseason issues that, well, he's still on the team. Not only is he still on the team, there's not much roster competition around him. Like, I don't see him really giving away many touches here. We've already commented how the offensive line has gotten better. And yet Joe Mixon right now, his ADP is a fourth round running back. To me, if you are going into your draft with this zero running back strategy, or at least no running back for the first three rounds, however you want to look at it, Mixon's like the perfect RB1 potential guy to take in that fourth round. That's if that's the route you're going with, at least in, in my eyes, right, Dan? Uh, well, I mean, there has certainly been a lot of speculation, right? And I think the a national perception is, that these incidents that have been talked about in the media are in line with his spot on the team being in jeopardy. And I don't think that's really accurate. First of all, neither of these incidents even got into an actual charge, much less a case. I mean, not saying that it wasn't some stupid things going on there. I don't know all the details, but the bottom line is, is it's not like an Alvin Kamara situation or where there's actually any chance that he's going to get even fined from the league for these things at this point. Uh, the bigger thing is the amount of money that he's due and how and, and how much they could just cut him and not be on the hook for it. Because right now, he's going to make $12 million this year. And a guy like Dalvin Cook out there on the market would be lucky to get $6 million and some of these other backs. So Joe Mixon is not... He's got plenty of left. He's only going to be 27. Uh, obviously, we, all the things we said about the offensive line, everything you've said, they only spent a fifth-round pick. They're not going to sign Dalvin Cook. I think... The expectation is at some point over the camp of the summer, they're still going to try to get him to take a pay cut. Uh, I would say if he doesn't take a pay cut, 
there's yeah, there's a chance he could get good this year, but they're not going to cut Joe Mixon on a Super Bowl contending team to go sign it like Zeke Elliott or Leonard Fournette, you know, guys on the back nine. Joe Mixon still has good football head. I do think what's going to happen though is Joe Mixon will take the pay cut because before they go to camp, I expect the Bengals to to have an extension with Joe Burrow, and it all boils down to getting money to get that done this year. The way they structure Orlando Brown's contract, Burrow. I mean, it's many people close to the team I talk to on a regular basis all think that this guy's going to be inked before the season starts. The Bengals aren't like a lot of teams. Burrow's not dragging this out in the media like some other quarterbacks in the division. But don't kid yourself. They're working on things behind the end. And Joe is already, you know, guys, you know, he, he's going to – the Bengals aren't getting rid of Chase and Burrow and Higgins. I, this trio is going to stay together. And Mixon's not really part of that picture beyond this season. So he's either going to take a pay cut uh, and maybe have another year here after this because he restructures to a more team-friendly deal, or this will be his last season here. But from a fantasy perspective, if you're drafting as your RB2, there's no doubt you're going to get RB1 production if he stays healthy just based off the volume alone because Chase Brown's the next man up. And while I'm excited about some of his playmaking ability, I mean, he's not anybody that's going to steal significant touches from Joe Mixon. And Samaje P. Ryan's in Denver. So, uh yeah, it's mixing time. If if healthy, uh, 15 to 20 touches. Now, the only thing that would shock me is if they actually did cut him. before. They, there's, if he says no to the pay cut and they still want to get all these deals done, if they cut Mixon, it would shock me. But they would not be on the hook for anything. And theoretically, they could then make a run at a guy like a Dalvin Cook. But I'd still rather have Mixon over Cook, frankly. One, he's familiar with the team, the offense. He fits the style more. Doesn't have as much durability concern. But we shall see. Uh, I, to your point, the values there at that pick. I mean, I don't think he's a top five running back, even if everything goes well for him, because, you know, there's a lot of love to go around in this Bengals offense. No, 100% agree. You just you just illustrated that beautifully. And one thing you also added in there that I want to jump on is, well, if Joe Mixon is going to be his last year in Cincinnati, I love running backs when it's their last year on a team or potentially a last year on a team because they just use them up. They don't care. So that's even more volume for him potentially because we are going to move on from you. I don't care if we use you now. Yeah, we see it all the time. You're right. Chris, where do you want to draft Joe this year? Because you draft yeah, Joe. I think I alluded to that before that he, you know, we talked about a bunch of different group of guys that we had on the board and Joe Mixon to me, the guy who goes ahead of those guys because just because of the sheer potential, what he can do in this offense, he's really inefficient last year. I don't know if that didn't necessarily continue this year. I also think Joe Mixon does have a lot in the tank. I think he's, you know, not a guy who's over the hill or done. And I think there's a still upside potential with the catch pass catching ability for, you know, this has been a kind of a hit and miss with him and his opportunity. Can he be a guy who's out there on three downs? Will he not be? They call constantly bring different guys in. But P. Ryan moved on with some of the guys backing up. You know, Chase Brown, for example, not a great pass protector. So you're not going to have Joe Burrow exposed to a bunch of guys you know, coming and trying to blitz him without a good pass protector. So I think Joe Mixon, as long as he doesn't take the to pay cut, he's going to be a guy you want to have on your fantasy team. What's really great here is the AFC North just has so many great running backs. I mean, we got another one, J.K. Dobbins. Yes, I know he's making it public that he's holding in. He wants new contract. I have a feeling that'll get resolved at least before week one. I think for his own sake, for his own value, regardless of whether contract gets done or not, he's going to have to be out there on the field because he's missed too much time to begin with. And, you know, a year removed from the ACL, we have plenty of proof now at this point that players, a year removed from an injury like that, they typically get back to peak prime. Oh, by the way, Dobbins, weeks 14 through 17 last year, 
guy had almost seven yards of carry. It's like absolutely insane what he was able to do. He's RB 14 during that stretch. And he was, he just looked like he wasn't hundred percent healthy, but that's how good Dobbins potentially could be. And I, we haven't been able to see him just bust out and display all of his skill sets. And maybe the one thing I am excited about when it comes to Todd Mock, it's not a lot, but the one thing I am excited about, maybe he'll be allowed to catch a football out of the hmm. backfield once in a while, just, just perhaps, so when I look at J.K. Dobbins, I see a guy who is right now valued about fourth, fifth round. Definitely, I think, has low NRB1 potential. The only thing that might hold him back, and I do think this is an interesting question to ask, is, is he still in a rotation with Gus Edwards with the new offensive coordinator? But then I ask myself, even if he is, Mockin has had experience with committees. He had Peyton Barber and Doug Martin. He had Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones. Uh, he had Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And everyone did well. All the running backs did well, both in the platoon. So maybe even if it does, it doesn't matter. But Dan, what's your your take on the situation? Oh, you're right about Monken and loving his committees. I mean, heck, even at Georgia, they won two national championships. Neither of those teams had a 900-yard rusher. So, uh, but I'm with you on Dobbins. I, I I mean, he's he's the RB two I want at the spot he's going in. I mean, he's got the upside to get to be a top ten running back. He's clearly uh, looking like he's on the back end of that massive injury. So I'm with you. I don't think Gus Edwards is going away though, but I don't think that doesn't mean that Dobbins isn't a top fifteen running back on my board uh, right now, uh, and a guy that I feel comfortable will get a lot of opportunities there in short yardage situations. And if we're let's face it, if we're right about what we talked about before with Lamar Jackson and them wanting to get a little bit less running, there is room for Dobbins to still take a step forward, even if Edwards maintains the role that we've seen him have. So uh, maybe Gus Edwards is a guy you still look at even uh, as a bench piece, not necessarily as a handcuff, but as a bench piece, as a guy that could be, end up being a bye week filler, even in a secondary role in this rushing attack. Well, yeah, I have them win. in games they've played together so far in their career. Dobbins is about 30% of the team carries on a per game basis, and Gus Edwards about 28%. So it's pretty close. They've both been pretty good fantasy wise. You got to remember, Dobbins is a smaller back than, I mean, your prototypical bell cow. I mean, yeah, agreed. Not that he's like, you know, too terribly small, but I mean, he is on the smaller side. So it is good to have another guy in there just to sort of keep him fresh and at his best. I don't think he needs to be a bell cow to be really good because he's such an efficient no guy, typically speaking, when he, when he's out there and on the field. By the way, I do have him ranked. You said top 15. I have him at 14. So we're both in line as far as the top 15 running back. Chris, how bullish are you going to be? I'm super bullish on J.K. Dobbins. Obviously, I love this Ravens offense, what they're going to do. But J.K. Dobbins, as you alluded to, Dan, the efficiency is there. I mean, it goes back to college. This guy just averages seven yards, six, seven yards per carry. That's what he does. Now, when you give a healthy version of that and you actually toss in the ball a couple of times at the backfield, which Todd Bakken has shown a propensity to do, then I'm excited about J.K. Dobbins' upside, particularly with the, some of the talent on the receivers who are going to get the attention. Well, Lamar Jackson, who's always got the defense's attention, J.K. Dobbins can easily take it to the house on any play. So I'm excited for J.K. Dobbins. This guy I definitely would want on my fantasy team. <laughs> If you thought the running back class was packed, oh man, this wide receiver group is really, really packed from a fantasy perspective. Let's talk about the top, shall we? Let's talk about those good old Cincinnati Bengals. So Dan, I'm going to be really curious to see because we had this discussion with Bob last week when we brought up Justin Jefferson. Is Jamar Chase the number one wide receiver? 
I still rank Jefferson ahead of him. Uh, but I will say in dynasty formats and, uh, you know, fantasy drafts where it's beyond this season, I do put Chase ahead of Jefferson based off of being coupled with Burrow. Uh, more of the long term here, but they're both. I'll take either one of these guys, right? I'm hoping I get the oh, top yeah. two pick in any draft because I want to start with the team with Jace or, or Chase or Jefferson. Again, the extra second, half second, whatever you think the Orlando Brown could provide, even on a few plays a game, could be the difference here. And last year, I mean, Burrow dropped a couple yards uh, off his uh, passing per, per pass average. I don't, I can't remember the exact number, but a lot of it was because the line wasn't giving him time and then coupled with the hip injury. Uh, what I love about chase is his leadership and the way he just sort of takes this team under his wings at certain times here. And, you know, as somebody that actually goes to, uh, you know, every home game and sees it with your eyeball, <laughs> when you are up close and you watch him run these routes and do the things that you just don't get to see on TV, you really start to appreciate like what a just amazing athlete this guy is. Um, I like the touchdowns. To, to stay steady. Um, but there are going to be some games where somebody else gets a turn at it. Right. So I, what I like about chase is his floor. And I just don't think his floor is as high as Justin Jefferson's floor because of the, you know, the addition of Higgins on the other side and some of the other weapons this offense possesses. Well, just, just for fun, I'll make the argument for chase to be the number one guy. Oh, and by, by the way, Joe Burrow, 7.4 yards, uh, per attempt the year before was about eight. So yeah, that's a little bit of the uh, decline that you were talking about. Or, no, I yeah, I knew, I knew there was a dip, but it, my, you know, the thought is, is it was because he didn't have as much time to throw football. The bottom line is, the, right. is the point I was trying to make. And I think with a little more time, give Chase to separate there. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. 7.1 catches, 84 yards was his average game last year. So that's not, uh, that's not too bad. No, not not at all. Uh, with Chase last year, if he doesn't get hurt, his 17 game pace was for 190 targets, 123 receptions, almost 1500 yards, and 13 touchdowns. That would have tied Devontae Adams exactly for the wide receiver two overall, and that was only his second year. Now we add in the fact that receivers like this, that third year, they typically take another leap on top of it. That's where the scary factor comes in. That's part of the argument for why maybe you can make him the wide receiver one, because while Justin Jefferson was absolutely fantastic last season, he's still very much in his prime. He still has Kirk Cousins for another year. When you have a season like that, typically you regress at least a little bit. And you can make that argument that maybe Chase is going to be trending up while Jefferson might regress a tad. Maybe Jordan Addison winds up being a bigger thing and does take away some targets from Justin Jefferson. Th those are some of the arguments that you can make. My my thing is, at the end of the day, this is a 1A, 1B. If you have a preference, fine. I'm not going to fight you on it either way. Chris, do you have a preference? Justin Jefferson is my preference. And just for the simple fact that all the different mouths you have to feed. Minnesota, without Dalvin Cook, has one mouth to feed predominantly. You talk about Jordan Addison. He's a rookie. Uh, you, you see this is going to offense that built, you know, we saw the, with Cooper Cup and the Rams. When they're going to get you the ball, they're going to get you the ball. In Cincinnati, you have a lot of different guys who can blow up from week to week. I love Jamar Chase, love the upside, but I also think there's different guys who are going to eat week in, week out, and it's kind of hard to ignore that Justin Jefferson is probably not going to have to ever do that. Dan, just to go back to the other point about the yards per target, uh, I did have a little note in here that I missed. Uh, I have him easily increasing to about nine yards per target if Joe Burrow gets that extra half a second. That would make him a wide receiver number one based off of last year too. Just to throw that in there, a little loosey goosey yes. math that I was I was on my way to doing for this show. Uh, let's let's talk about his counterpart, T. Higgins. Right? It's so you know it's hard to be Robin sometimes. It is, but uh, 
everyone pretty much does a good job taking notice that T Higgins needs to be a top 12 wide receiver. And I think that's a question. Sometimes people ask themselves like, well, if you have chase and he's getting all these targets and you know, he's going to have the bigger games. Why is T Higgins still being drafted like a top 12 wide receiver, which he is, is he actually worth that spot? I'm like, look, even if you take all the games that Jamar chase played and you take away the four games that he wasn't out there for where Higgins was the number one guy, just take that away. Just put it on a pace. He still would have been over 100 targets for the season. He still would have finished as a top 12. Actually, the top 10 receiver, I have it here when I play out his numbers. So my thing is, yes, he's very much worth it. Yes, you can sustain two top 12 wide receivers in an offense built like this. I have no reservations for it whatsoever. I, I don't know if you do, or even if you don't, is there anything about T. Higgins that maybe does bother you? No, I mean, I I clearly he's overshadowed by Chase, uh, and I think that is the biggest thing. But, I mean, this guy's pig. He's fast. He's talented. I mean, he has everything you look for. I love what Duke Tobin said when there was speculation uh, from national media earlier in the offseason, like, oh, the Bengals are he's in, next. This is this final year. They can't sign him all. They're, you know, he was like a trade rumor, and Dick, Dick Tobin showed up to the first meeting. He's like, uh, <laughs> if people want an elite receiver, they need to find their own. We're not giving this guy up, <laughs> uh, especially even if it's just for one more year. We're on the, the cusp of a Super Bowl potentially here. But here's the thing, man. Even, even, the injuries last year uh, he had a couple there Higgins in 16 games caught 85 passes 1,150 yards eight touchdowns I think the fact he's entering the final year of this rookie contract I mean only would uh, to say that he wants to put up even better numbers but there's enough mouths to feed because of the way that the Bengals run the offense uh, you know obviously the one thing you gotta love about T Higgins is they can't double up everybody right right so he's I mean, if you look up and down the NFL rosters, I would be hard-pressed. I mean, he's got to be top 10 receiver. I mean, maybe you could – you'd be hard-pressed to use both all your fingers to fill the number of teams where he wouldn't be the wide receiver one. And no, he's, the Bengals, he's the Bengals' second receiver. So, um, from fantasy, I get why people don't want to invest. But, I mean, you look, again, you look at that spot and the, the players that we're talking about and those windows, and, you know, T. Higgins – Right now, guys that are getting drafted ahead of him in underdog, Devontae Smith. I would argue Devontae Smith might not even be, he might be the third choice in the passing game in Philadelphia. His big numbers were without Dallas Goddard. Chris Olave, you're, put, you're, you're telling me Chris Olave is better than T. Higgins? Jalen Waddle, I mean, he's the second fiddle to Tyree Kill, and I don't think he has as good of a quarterback. All those guys are getting drafted ahead of T. Higgins. So I'm loving getting T. Higgins in the round, late round three if that's where he's going. Yeah, agreed. I love the value there. And Chris, let me ask you this question from this standpoint. Let's say you have, you know, a top six draft pick. You wind up deciding to use it on a running back instead of a wide receiver. And maybe you go running back the second round, too. Would you be comfortable if T. Higgins was your wide receiver one if you think he's going to be finishing as a top 12 guy? I think so. I mean, it depends on who's on the board still. I, I like making Jalen Waddle just a little higher than he, T. Higgins just because of the potential of upside. And the volume, but I think this is one thing to kind of highlight the you know guys getting the ball week in week out. If you have 14 completions between two receivers, Joe Burrow can definitely do that. It's not asking something outrageous. This is this is football, guys. So people can actually get the ball if they're throwing the ball consistently. And Cincinnati is showing that they can do that and will do that. So Tay Higgins is a guy that I am comfortable if he's my receiver one. If I have two loaded running backs, I'm looking on the board and I see him as the next guy as a receiver on the board. Why wouldn't I be a guy who's basically going to be double the touchdowns, a guy who is upside and 
he also is going to benefit. He doesn't run you know, a bunch of four-yard routes out there. He does go down the field, too. So the extra time is going to help T. Higgins just as much as it will help Jamar Chase. Yep, tend to, tend to agree there as well. Uh, so let's move to the Browns. Let's keep it in Ohio, guys. Let's go to the other orange team in the Cle- in the Ohio State and go to Cleveland. Amari Cooper. Now, at first, when I saw Amari Cooper's ADP in the fourth round at wide receiver 16, I was like, oh, that's criminal. And then I realized I might be part of the problem because I actually have him ranked at wide receiver 15. There's just a lot of receivers I happen to like, it seems like, this at this point. But, I mean, Amari Cooper, we don't talk about him enough I think in fantasy circles when we have shows like this, all the guy does is produce year in and year out, no matter who the quarterback is. I mean, he did it last year as a top 10 guy with Jacoby Brissett. So if Deshaun Watson does improve a little bit, we know Cooper is going to be the number one guy. Should we have a big star around Cooper there in the fourth round of like, we, you can't pass him up there. Right, Dan? Yeah, I mean, everything you say makes sense. I will say all would go to not if they signed DeAndre Hopkins, which I know is a big mystery right now, but I certainly think Cleveland is in the conversation as a possibility. So prefacing, uh, if Hopkins were not to come there, Cooper remains that clear number one. Here's a guy that he got nine of the team's 19 touchdowns last year. That's the second largest share of any receiver in the league. Uh, So... There's no doubt he's uno, uh, numero uno, and I already told you about how I'm sort of buying in on the Browns at the ADP, and I think Cooper's the guy that uh, you know definitely fits that. One thing I am interested to see, though, is how much of uh, these other guys that are currently on the roster do take sort of a step up, because I, I do like the receiving core as a whole, and I know we're going to probably talk about it here in a minute, but... You know, the addition, the late addition of Elijah Moore, obviously, uh, Najoku we'll talk a little bit about too. I mean, there is some, there are some players that, uh, the Sean Watson's got, I think a a few more mouths to feed maybe than he, he did. And he's going to get more comfortable with these weapons. So Cooper is the top, but the discrepancy might, that gap might close in terms of his percentage of the team's receiving touchdowns. But that might not be because he's doing less, rather others doing a bit more. Yeah, and like you said, it's actually another argument in the case for uh, Deshaun Watson going into especially the value that, that he has. And I just, I, I, again, don't want to get off in the weeds to it, but I do want to quick mention, we've, we mentioned Dalvin Cook's name, we mentioned DeAndre Hopkins' name. I'm just going to put this out there. This is what I want to see happen. I want Hopkins to go to the Patriots. I want Cook to go to Miami. Why? If Hopkins goes to the Patriots, he can't screw up my Traylon Burks. He can't screw up anything going on in Cleveland. Go ahead, go to the Patriots. I got nothing to screw up over there. And for the Cook... I have nothing invested in the Miami backfield that looks like a mess. Yeah, go ahead. Go to Miami. Don't go to the Jets. Don't ruin my Brees Hall. Like, it's come all on, guys. about your, all your fantasy exposure. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We root for what matters to us. Actually, I mean, frankly, I'm, I root for the Bengals more than my fantasy shares when it comes to the trades and stuff. So I don't want Hopkins to come to Cleveland. I don't want him to go to the Chiefs, <laughs> the Bills. I mean, can all the good players stop coming to the AFC for that matter? <laughs> No, no, no. As a 49ers fan, they can they can stay in the AFC. Yeah, 100%. keep sending them there. <laughs> keep sending them there, unless they go to San Francisco. Exactly, exactly. Chris, I, I do want I want to get I want to move. Oh, a lot. Dude, if you no. would have told me you were a 49ers fan before you invited me on here, I'm still a little bitter about the the Super Bowls I lost as a, a Bengals fan as a child here, dude. But like, I might have I might have just said no right out of the gate and saved ourselves the trouble here. Well, see, that's why you know I keep these I keep my secrets until we're on the air. Yeah, that, that wasn't shared. At least you're not a Steelers fan, so uh, you know. 
Yeah, I think that's better, right? Yeah, we'll go with that. I mean, the, the 88 Super Bowl was, was a long time ago now. I mean, it's time to get over it, Dan. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, Chris, I want to talk to you about Elijah Moore. because you, you, You've been a big Elijah Moore proponent. I, I have been as well, and I don't take anything that happened last year as a slate against Moore. I, I don't blame him for being pissed off. He had Garrett Wilson come in and took all of his routes, and they were couldn't even get him on the field, and it was just such a crap show going over there in New York. I would be pissed off. I was him too. You're a losing team. You're not utilizing me. I'm a big talent. I love him in Cleveland. If Watson can just be somewhere in between what he was last year in Houston, I love him in Cleveland. This guy was amazing as a rookie. 20% target share as a rookie. Had a top five stretch between weeks 11 through 13 before he got injured. I mean, we might have seen this guy completely take off in the second half of the season had he not had that injury in his rookie year. So where what's your take here on Elijah Moore? And where would you look to target him in drafts this year? Elijah Moore to me is the guy that's, that's value right now. He's a steal. I mean, you talked about it before, Dan. I just put, you know, last year as you play for the Jets, and I'll just leave it at that. And then I'll move on to the fact that you're in Cleveland now. You're playing with Deshaun Watson. And let's look what Deshaun Watson did in Houston when he was, you know, quote unquote normal. He was, you know, Will Fuller was a guy that you definitely wanted to have on your fantasy team, was progressing in the right direction. And then you look at another guy, the slot receivers that they had, they never had a really good slot receiver. Whoever it was, Fantasy-wise, we're always trying to figure out who that guy was going to be because he was going to get targets and he was going to be somebody decent to have on your team. Elijah Moore has more talent than anything they've had in the slot position for Deshaun Watson, and since I think he's been coming for a pro. And I love his opportunity for this offense. Mark Cooper is still the number one receiver on his team, but Elijah Moore is going to get a lot of those targets. They're talking about moving him all around the field right now. He can line up all three positions on the field. They're going to utilize him, I think, a lot like Stefan Diggs was in Minnesota, and I think he's got a good upside, and the guy that I think at the ADP right now is an absolute steal. And Cooper does have that injury history to boot, so he might have some potential to becoming number one receiver at some point during the year. I mean, Dan, he's going round 11 in FFPC right now. Yeah, the buzz is, the buzz is real. I think uh, the fresh starts everything. Here's a guy that I was buying last year. And again, I'm going to end up with some of them on my roster. I think Chris really hit all my key points on him, frankly. All right. I like it. Let's go to the Steelers. This is a a fun one to discuss with Don Yante Johnson and George Pickens. Let's let's go on the Johnson side first. It's it's easy to say. Everyone's been saying it. He's going to get more than zero touchdowns. Okay, fine. That's hashtag analysis, right? But realistically, what what are we going to expect out of him? Because he's never really gotten more than, what, five? In season, and that's when he had a good quarterback at, at the helm. So touchdowns for me when it comes to Deontay Johnson is really not the key to unlocking him. It's the fact that he needs so much volume in order to be good. Because he doesn't make a ton of big plays. He doesn't score a lot. And now you have a rising potential star in uh, George Pickens. You do have Pat Fryer Muth. The debate as far as how the running backs get involved, but typically had been involved in the past. And now you have maybe an emergence of a Calvin Austin, a possibly third receiver who's getting a lot of hype during the offseason right now. So, Dan, when you're looking at Deontay Johnson, where his ADP is at wide receiver 29, seventh round at the moment, what do you feel about that kind of value? PPR, I love it. Uh, touchdowns, Started to project touchdowns. Yeah, he didn't catch. We all know about him not catching a touchdown last year, but he caught seven, eight touchdowns the previous two years. I mean, he did have a couple two-point conversions last year. I mean, it, there's we've already talked about it with Pickett and all these other things. There's a lot of variables to it, but he sees the volume, man. He's averaged 94 catches in each of the last three seasons. I mean, 
that's what I love about PPR. Uh, and you can project catches, target volume, yards per catch. It's hard to project the touchdown. So Deontay Johnson is a, at the very minimum a high-end wide receiver PPR, uh, wide receiver three on my board, which at that ADP says there's value. So uh, I'm buying Johnson more than I'm probably buying Pickens, who's definitely more of a big player bust type of candidate that's going, you know, probably, you know, obviously a little lower price, but, you know, Pickens is a guy that's going to leave you empty in your lineup some weeks, and that is something that I would try to avoid. Yeah, and there's been a narrative out there that with Kenny Pickett out there that Deontay Johnson wasn't getting targeted as much. He's still at 8.6 targets per game in the weeks that Pickett was a starting quarterback. So the volume still was not an issue, but there is debate. Some people have Pickens ranked ahead of Deontay Johnson. Chris, are you one of those people? I am not. And it's similar with Dan said. I think, you know, Pickens is going to be a lot of times with the guys with a big goose egg in your lineup or a couple of points that you're, could cost you the week. Deontay Johnson is going to get open. And that's the key to the things. You get targets a lot of times because you're always open. This guy has been the top three in average yards per separation. That's why he gets so much targets. That's why he's always getting them. He doesn't, he has drops. The guy does things that are inconsistent, but he always gets targets because he's always open. So I think that's not going to change. And I think as long as that's the case, Deontay Johnson is a guy that you want in your week in, week out. It gives you that consistency factor. You know, he doesn't have the huge upside dance some of the other guys do, but I think where you're looking for the floor he has that guy that gives you that nice, you know, anchor in your lineup versus the guy with like a Pickens who give you might give you a goose exactly. egg. And I, I will say this, fellas. I mean, yeah, I know it's sort of fantasy one oh one, but it is about roster construction too on how I value these players. And when I build a receiving core, uh, especially you know, in these PPR lineups where receptions are a little more valued, I'm definitely gonna do it with a, a mixture of types of players. I want for every Deontay Johnson, I want a Gabe Davis or whatever. I mean, you're gonna get players at certain spots of the draft, but I don't want a, a bunch of safe Eddie Steadies and Jacoby Myers and De- Deontay Johnsons and they get three touchdowns between them. But at the same time, uh, especially in where you have to set the lineup and not a best ball format, it is nice to have those spots in the lineup that you're banking those points. That's what goes back to why I like Patrick Mahomes over Lamar Jackson or, you know, the idea of, you know, a high end quarterback over some streamer. And it it is because you just want to bank those points. And the more points that you can bank, especially you're only trying to beat one other team. It's not like you're trying to take down some big tournament here and you need to be all contrarian and crazy and stacked. No, you only got to beat one opponent. You beat one opponent by consistently scoring every great season long league I've ever had in a 12 team league. It's been because every single week I'm getting at least this amount of points. And Deontay Johnson's one of those core type of players that can get you there. Yeah. So we all on this panel are in agreement. We have Deontay Johnson ahead of George Pickens. I want to move this a little bit along here. I want to go to the Ravens and talk about that receiving core. And it's an intriguing one. And it's hard to kind of pick who's going to be your best guy. I mean, ADP wise, Bateman's 10th round, Zay Flowers' is 10th round, OBJ's 11th round. So we all are in this culmination at the back end of your drafts. We know someone's going to probably hit. The question's going to be who? Dan, who is your money on for the Ravens receiving court? None of the above. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have, frankly, I have across 30 teams. I've got a little bit of each of them here and there, but. I don't really want to get too involved. I mean, if you're asking me just flat out, if I had a bet on one to like have the most fantasy points, I mean, Rashad Bateman, I think obviously is at the point of his career where I think he still has ceiling ahead of him. 
Zay Flowers is a little bit experienced. It's, it's really hard for a rookie receiver, particularly one that plays in such a run-focused offense, to make that big impact. Long-term, I really like what I see in Flowers. I liked him before I even knew what team he was going to be on in the NFL. Odell, I mean, everybody's down on him. And I think as long as your expectations are appropriately aligned, that he could deliver some nice spots this season. I just, for me, it's like if I'm betting over under on games played, I'll go, I'll set it at 11 and a half. And I'd probably bet the under. So do I think he has some capabilities of some things? And absolutely. And what do we know? Uh, you know, it's a big reason that Lamar Jackson decided to come back and end his stuff was he, he felt something in him. So I think all three of them are going to have big days, but I'd still, if you're asking me the pass target in this offense, we'll get to him in a minute when we talk tight end because it's Mark Andrews is the one that I most covet. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, do you have a a horse in this race? I'm going OBJ because I think the money spent, then the connection that, you know, Dan alluded to. I also think you're kind of have the one guy who's going to be game plan for, particularly in the red zone. You saw OBJ kind of you have that you know bounce back with the Rams. It wasn't with big plays; it was getting the ball in the red zone and in touchdowns. Lamar will look for certain guys in those situations, and he will force the ball sometimes in those situations. I think OBJ is going to be the guy he's going to look for and try to force the ball outside of Mark Andrews. I'm going to throw the, I'm going to throw this out there, and I, I I wanted to say Rashad Bateman was going to be my bet at first, but the more I looked at this, the more I was like, you know what? By the end of the season, not the beginning, not in September, not in October, but by the end of the season. My money's actually going to be on Zay Flowers. Part of that is because of the injury concerns. Both Bateman has not been able to stay healthy, and OBJ certainly hasn't been able to do that as well. So there might be a situation where Zay Flowers finds him as the only guy left from that standpoint. But also, with OBJ, does he have anything left? I don't know if we actually definitively know the answer to that question. What if if it's Nelson Aguilar? Yeah, right. Oh, (laughs) I, I just... Just kill me now. Just, just, it's the Ravens, so you just year, never know. You just, just never just know. kill me now. I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, <laughs> but at least with Flowers, he does have the first round draft capital. And the other thing too, Flowers well, looks I, a lot like Steve Smith to me. When I see him in a does. Ravens uniform, I'm like, this dude's the next Steve Smith. So he does. I could see it happening, but again, uh, I'm a little more optimistic that the other. It's not. I think the other two, you know, uh, have a better chance of producing at the end of the day. Well, they'll definitely be the guys to go to the beginning of the season. Again, this is a this is a I'm making my bet by the end of the year. And the and the last reason why is because he's just a natural separator. As much as I love Lamar Jackson, I still don't think he's a great anticipator. I think he needs to see guys get open or to Chris's point earlier, force feed guys and throw them in jump ball situations. But Zay Flowers could mimic a lot of things Marquise Brown could do. And Lamar Jackson did have success with Marquise Brown and a guy like that who can come wide open. So I think there's a chance by the end of the year, we're talking about Zay Flowers, but I am just for draft purposes. I do love the value of Rashad Bateman in 10th, 11th round, taking a shot on a guy like that to your point has ceiling moving ahead, but let's, let's move ahead. Let's go to the tight end. As Dan said, let's talk about the real receiver one on the Ravens, and that is Mark Andrews. We know Kelsey's number one. We know Mark Andrews is number two. So to make this interesting, the thing I was thinking about was, is Andrews the best value tight end in drafts this year? And what I mean by that is you don't have to spend the first round draft capital that you do on a Travis Kelsey. And right now, TJ Hawkinson, who's not even my tight end three, is going right next to Mark Andrews in the third round. There's definitely a wide gap between Andrews and Hawkinson in my mind, or Andrews really and the rest of the group at the tight end position. 
So from that line of thinking, could he be the best value at, in fantasy drafts at the tight end position? What do you think, Dan? Well, I mean, your ADP is a lot different than the ADP I'm looking at. I'm just looking at the underdog ADP here in the month of June. I got him June. on FFPC. So yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the difference between Andrews and Hawkinson in that format is 3-6 and 5-2. So, um, it's drastically different. So, and I think that's important for us. to Know the ADP of the leagues oh, and the yeah. sites that you play on because and, and how those owners draft because it is different. I mean, if, your question is, is he the best tight end value? My answer is definitively no, because I, I don't even think you can say it. You can get, but do I think he's worth third round investment? I would say, yes, I do. If you want to grab that tight end early, because I think the best, I mean, to answer your question, my answer to your question, I think it's Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, I realize had a you know, brutal, you know, a lot of the same touchdown problems that we talked about with Deontay Johnson, but there are things to like there. There, I mean, the injuries and the optimism, but I mean, I think he's got just as much upside as Andrews, certainly a lower floor, but he's coming three and a half rounds later in the ADP I'm looking at right now. So if I'm looking at top five tight end values right now, I lean Pitts as the better value, but I'd much rather have Andrews on my fantasy team. What do you think, Chris? I think Andrews is the top value. People seem to forget that they had Mark Andrews over Travis Kelsey going into last year. It seems to kind of get forgotten and blown over. Mark Andrews was that's one of the top tight ends the year before. So I think this is something to kind of get back to the norm. Mark Andrews is a guy who's always going to be involved in this offense. Greg Roman, no Greg Roman. Lamar loves him. I do think he's a great value. Even in the third round, I think it's key and vital, especially to get you know, tight end legs that you have a tight end, to have that top tier guy and be that much of a separator consistency week in, week in, where you have no fear about putting Mark Andrews in your lineup at tight end one at week in, week out. So to me, it is one of the best values on the board. Well, we go with value, and then we also have cutoff points. And that's a big thing with me when it comes to tight ends. Have a cutoff point. Know whether I'm either getting a tight end of this value or greater, or I'm just saying the hell with it, and I'm drafting one back where I take a defense and a kicker, and I'm just going to stream through the nightmare that sometimes you just find yourself in. It's going to be one or the other. My cutoff point this year is Pat Fryermuth, and I have him actually at tight end eight. So I'm a little bit higher on him than I am a David Njoku, a little bit higher than I am on an Evan Ingram, which is a little bit against the grain here. But I do have him at tight end eight. I love his target share. We talk about guys we think are getting increased in touchdowns. He should be one of those players who sees an increase in touchdowns, assuming the Steelers' offense throws or throws more than what 19 touchdowns or whatever it was, ridiculous low number that they had last season. His ADP right now is tight end 10, which is going about the eighth round. Of course, the, my ADP is off of FFPC. Uh, might be a little bit different, Dan, with what you're doing on underdog. Again, I haven't ranked tight end eight, but if you go off the ADP right now, he's going directly ahead of Dalton Kincaid, Dalton Schultz, Chig, Tyler Higby. So when I look at that group of name of players, I'm thinking to myself, I got to get Fryermuth. Otherwise, I'm going to have the nightmare at tight end position that you really just try to avoid. So, Dan, is where's your cutoff point at? Is it Pat Fryermuth or somebody else? It's definitely a little higher up for me. I, I think I cut mine off about six. There's about six tight ends I'm willing to invest early in. And then if not, uh, I'm I'm waiting and waiting to like be one of the last ones. I mean, Fryermuth's a guy in the mix you said. I mean, I agree he's in that tier, but. For me, it's Kelsey, Andrews, Hawk, Hawkinson, Kittle, Pitts, Goddard. I mean, those are the guys I think you can definitively say week in and week out, they're locked in as a starting tight end. I don't trust Darren Waller with his injury history. I think Friar Muth is probably the top of that tier with Ingram and Najoku. And a guy I like, and I'm just, and so I generally wait around and see who falls. But some of the guys that 
I've been plucking late. Eric Conquo for the Titans, I think, is being undervalued big time. I'm still buying in on Dulcich, especially with Sean Payton. I like Tyler Higby and Cole Komet. All those guys are going, uh, at least an underdog, 30, 40 picks after your Friar Muth, Najoku, Kincaid tier. So I'm stacking up on other positions and, and hoping I hit with one of those other guys. Uh, a little bit later, frankly. So I definitely agree with you, though. Have a cutoff point at tight end, and if you don't get there, just take what falls to you. Yeah, and say the hell with that, Chris. Where are you at there? I am higher on Farmworth, and I'm not as you know. We'll get into some other tight ends, but I'm not as bit high as Hawkinson as a lot of people seem to be. Farmworth is a pretty consistent tight end, and I think that's hard to find. Danny talked about the crap shooters of tight end. You try to have having a guy who's pretty consistent, despite whoever the quarterback's been for the Pittsburgh Steelers over the last few years. Pat Vermouth comes in week in, week out and produces, and he's not one of those guys who's going to leave you in a goose egg in your lineup or a lot of the tight ends will. Great Dultich, maybe he, maybe he will be the guy. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Denver. There's a lot of different guys who can be involved in the tight end position with the Troutman trade. So I look at some other guys who are going after him, or you know, Cole Clement had with, with zero touchdowns last year and has Nas Tunyon to kind of compete with. Um, I think he's one of the guys that Vermouth is a guy that's going to be utilizing the red zone. He's already showing you that role. And he's going to be a guy who gets you 50, 60 yards per game, gets you the four to five, six catches per game. That's hard to get consistently at a tight end position. So to me, Dan, I think you're that you hit the nail on the head with my cutoff. Pat Vermouth is a guy that I do think you can get him at the value he is. He's definitely top 10, if not top seven on tight end. 98 targets, only two tight ends had over 100 last year. Uh, let's talk about David Njoku a little bit. So I just talked about how I have Firemouth ahead of him. I find myself struggling with David Njoku because we, we were high. We we've talked glowingly about all the Cleveland weapons so far and their ADPs. Njoku, I feel like somebody has to get left out. It, 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 it might be him. Not because I knock his talent, not because I knock what he could be in the offense, but because I like Elijah Moore so much because I think Don Peoples-Jones will have his role. I just feel like David Njoku, when he hits, it's going to be maybe that once every four games. And you're going to find yourself streaming and not even have him in your lineup when he does go off. And I think he's going to be that guy. So that's what troubles me about Njoku. I do have him as a back-end tight end one, but he's in that tier. Again, he's my after my fire move where I'm probably just rather just wait for somebody rather than take him at his current ADP, uh, which is in round nine, according to FFPC at the moment. Dan, where, do you have any more confidence than I do on, on Njoku? Well, he's one of those guys that I getting to see in person, you know, going to the games and, and watching them with your own eyeballs. It's like, I mean, talk about somebody to make you turn your head. David Njoku is a good, he commands your attention when you see him. And uh, so his athletic ability is unbelievable. So I definitely think he, everything you said is true. I mean, he, you said he's a back to end tight end, uh, top 10 tight end. That's where he should be. And when you get to that level, you're, you do have inconsistency. So I don't hold that against him. My biggest red flag on him, frankly, is the dip we saw after Watson took over at quarterback because Watson doesn't have a history throwing the ball to tight ends. And uh, Njoku, after that quarterback switch a year ago, I mean, he averaged 4.9 catches for 56 yards with Brissett, and he averaged one and a half fewer catches, 23 fewer yards after that change. The completion percentage dropped almost 20% from 80 to 61. So those are some pretty rough indicators. Now, it was a short sample size, so... We'll see how it can improve. But if if Watson doesn't develop that chemistry with him, I don't see how he hits projected inside the top 10 at the position. 
Well, and that's where the people's Jones conversation, I think, comes into play here because Watson's used to taking those big throws on the perimeter down the field. And Chris, I think maybe ultimately this is who do you believe is going to be that third pass catcher? Is it going to be the Joku? Is it going to be people's Jones? I think it's going to be a mixture of different guys. I think it'll be the backslide, but he also mixed into that. So I don't like uh, Nujoku. I think that's this guy who's been wildly consistent, just despite kind of the attrition of, of opportunities, targets that he's kind of seen around with because there's been so many injuries to Cleveland receiving core, and they haven't had necessarily top-tier guys. And he hasn't been a guy who's consistently been out there. I mean, he earned his contract last year, but they were still bringing Hunter Bryan. They brought different guys in try to steal his job in a sense. So Njoku, to me, is a guy who's also a victim of Kevin Stefanski, who I question how many guys he can game plan for. And you saw the tight end position in Minnesota disappear with Irv Smith and different Tyler Conklin, different guys they try to spend capital on, but just never kind of materialized. I think a big part of that is because you kind of you know prioritize who you're going to get involved in the game, passing attack. I don't think Njoku's going to be a guy who's going to be game plan week in, week out for the, this Cleveland team. Yeah, no, tend to agree. Speaking of Irv Smith, and we're just going to let the, the, the resident Bengals fan answer this question. Is there any reason we should be on the lookout for Irv Smith? Is this ship sailed on him? I mean, he's a great. I think he's a great pluck as a tight end, too. Uh, I mean, he's definitely following. He wants to get paid, right? So CJ Uzama, Hayden Hurst, uh, they've each had a season with Burrow here. They turn it into his huge free agent contract. So a one-year deal worth one seven five. He turned down bigger money from other teams. I think he's an upgrade over Hayden Hurst in terms of, uh, you know, Hayden Hurst had a four catch. Hurst averaged four catches per game last year. That was tenth among tight ends, but he just only had seven point six yards per reception. So, I think uh, Smith opens it up. It's all about can he be on the field? I mean, the guy's missed twenty nine games in three years, so that's why he's having to take this prove it type of deal. Um, but. You know, the Bengals didn't invest a lot in him. I think he certainly uh, is the top guy on the depth chart here in an offense in there. I think he's tight end 17 right now. So you're not taking him inside the top 15 at the position. But, I mean, don't kid yourself. I mean, he's a guy, if he stays healthy, if I told, if you told me Irv Smith Jr. was going to play 15 games for the year for the Bengals this year, I think he, I'd say he's got an outside shot to be a back end tight end one if he could get those type of games. But at tight end 17, inside the top 20 is your bat, at tight end two. Uh, I think he offers a, a lot of upside based off his quarterback. Yeah, I mean, obviously, redraft wise, he's, where he's going to be on the waiver wire. But I yeah, do redraft think- wise, you're not really taking tight end seventeen in most hometown leagues. But in best ball leagues, where I'm drafting two, three tight ends, I mean, Irv Smith's a guy that is a very popular tight end too, hanging out there in rounds fourteen, fifteen, whenever it is that the draft deems I take my tight end too. Right? I love drafting a guy like Kelsey. And first round or Mark Andrews in, in round two and then and waiting forever to get my second tight end and letting it be a guy like Irv Smith. Yeah, I agree. Cause I was going to lead up with, I think we're going to talk about him a lot, like in redraft leagues during the season. Oh, he'll be on the waiver wire report, dude. He'll be yeah. on the waiver wire. Report. We're going to be talking Rest a lot about that. Just like Hayden Hurst was last year, but I do think he's better at Hurst as a pass catcher. Oh, he's way and more that, athletic. Yeah. And that's what I think uh, will provide some opportunities in this offense. Lock them in. It's a lock. All right, so we come to the part of the show where it's time for our over-unders. How do we think these teams are actually going to do? And it's really tough when you're talking about the AFC North because it is, in my opinion, the best division in all of football this year from top to bottom. It's just going to be a bruiser. And nobody, nobody 
has less than 8.5 over under from the Vegas line on their wins losses for the year. That tells you how tough it's probably going to be. So we'll go with Dan and then we'll go with Chris and then I'll give mine at the very end. We'll start with the Ravens, which their lines, their betting lines are the most wonky of the group because you have it set at nine and a half, but the over is minus 170. So Vegas is not giving you too much if you take the over. The under is plus 150. So, Dan, are you over or under at nine and a half when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, just based off the odds there, I'd probably play the under if I was literally betting it. But I do have the Ravens at 10 and seven for the record. Uh, to me, to me, because the division's so tough, I think, I think 10 wins is like a huge feat for any of these teams, frankly. But uh, just off the odds here, I'd go Ravens plus the 150 under the nine and a half because 10's my ceiling. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with the over on this. This Raven team, when it's not you know talent efficient on both sides of the ball, has historically won double digit win games. So I think it's going to continue this trend. I'd bet the over. I'm going to bet the under. I'm actually going to go. I have them at nine wins. I have a lot of questions about the defense, and that's where I find myself on this side of things. I think again, I'm not the biggest proponent of Todd Mock, and this is part of that too. Or I'm not necessarily buying in there become a juggernaut offense just because he's the one calling the plays. But my real issue is that I question how good that defense is truly going to be, especially when attacking them down the field in the secondary. And I don't really love the pass rush either. The world consummate's a great player, and he can anchor down a lot of things. But the defense, why? I'm going to go under on the Baltimore Ravens. So let's move. We got two on the under, one on the over. Let's go to the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's see what we think here. 11 and a half is the line. They are plus 110 if you want to take the over, minus 130 if you want to take the under. Dan, how are your Bengals going to do? Yeah, I know I just said I like the odds here, but I lean, I lean unders a lot on bets, fellas, for the record. Uh, I do think the Bengals have an easier schedule this year, but uh, you know, 12 wins isn't a give me. So I would be inclined to lay the 130 or take the Bengals under the 11 and a half. I think 11 wins wins the division this year. I think the Bengals are the division champs for the third year in a row, but uh, we shall see. We shall see. I hope I'm wrong on this one. Chris. I'm going to go with the under too. And I think the Bengals are going to have to deal with having a bit of a bullseye on this team. You know, this is the other teams getting talked about a lot as a contender and being with the top teams. I think teams are going to take that seriously playing a weekend out, but also in the top division, as Dan alluded to. Yeah, I think this is, I'll take the under on this one. I'm more confident than both of you on the Cincinnati Bengals. I do like the schedule. I like Joe Burrow. I think this team is ready to take the next step that we haven't seen them take yet. And the no-name defense that they are <laughs> resurrecting over there in Cincinnati poses more problems than people tend to realize. I have them confidently at 13. 13 wins this year. So I am going 13 and four and the only four losses I have them coming in the division. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, three of the losses I have them coming in the division. I don't have them getting swept by anybody. So th that's it. One loss outside of the division. That's all for the Cincinnati Bengals. 13 and four. I'm taking that over. Give me that plus 110 money. So we'll see how that one plans out. So we got two again, two of the under one of the over Cleveland Brown time. This is going to be this is this is the Browns and the Steelers. I think this is where we're going to have some back and forth here. So the Browns are also at nine and a half, like the Steelers. Their lines are a little bit more even, though. Plus one twenty on the over, minus one forty on the under. So Dan, where are you at with the Browns at nine and a half? Yeah, I've got them at nine and eight, but again, Ooh. I'm going to go over here because of the odd differential. That's uh, you know that's what I look for on these types of bets. Is if I'm, it's right on the fence, I will jump to the odds. 
I think the Browns could easily get the 10 wins. They have the easiest schedule of the, you know, playing the last place teams and a lot of the stuff. They don't have to make some of the, the tougher trips that, you know, the Bengals have to face the bills and the chiefs, for instance, and uh, you know, playing the first place teams from the other uh, AFC conferences. So I definitely think Cleveland is a team that I'm buying. So I've said it all episode. I'll finish on it here and, and continue to buy with uh, the plus 120. They get the 10 and 7 and I cash. All right, Chris. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with the over. I'm not really super confident about that because I think 9.5 is like perfect by Vegas. I do like Cleveland to be you know, a team that's going to be in contention. I think they're going to get the double digits because I think they are the one of the better rosters from top to bottom in this division. So I do like I go the over, but I'm not super confident on that. All right. Well, I'll be the tiebreaker. Can the Browns get to 10? Absolutely. Should the Browns get to 10? Yes, they should. It's a very talented roster. Will the Browns get to 10? I don't think they do because of the Browns. They just find a way not to live up their potential. And until I see something that's, that happens otherwise, I can't do it. So I'm taking the Browns at nine and I'm going with the under, even though the better value would be nice if I was confident in the over. Let's finish this off with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Their lines are also a little bit wonky. The eight and a half mark for their wins and losses. That's the lowest mark of the division, eight and a half. I know that's how good this division is. And now we have minus 155 on the over. So Vegas isn't trying to give you too much. If you do take that over, plus 135 on the under. And of course, the big storyline here is that, well, Tomlin's never had a less than 500 season. So this influences the betters here. Dan, what do you think with the team that you probably hate the most? I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess is the team you hate the most out of division, is it? <laughs> I don't hate the team. I just hate the fans. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I do think the Steelers are still a year away. I think they're much improved here. Um, I think they are the fourth place team in the division. So I think they'll get close to it, but I like the under eight and a half here again, slanted by the odds. And that's what I look for in betting is value. Um, but Pittsburgh, if they get to nine, 10 wins, I mean, that would be a huge, huge surprise for me based off the other teams in the division, unless we just saw a ton of injuries strike the division, right? I don't see a scenario where Pittsburgh wins the division, uh, for sure. But could they get to nine wins and can't kill this bet? Yes, but I'm going to go under. Chris? I'm going to go under too. Look, I know Mike Tomlin's fantastic and somehow manufactures, you know, successful and at least good teams. I have pretty much nothing in Pittsburgh, but you look at this team in this division from top to bottom, the quarterback play is so much more superior than the rest of the division. I know Deshaun Watson even you know, was looked rusty and hadn't played in two years and still looks better than Pickett, in my opinion. So I think this is a, a, a team that just can't get there. So I'm going, definitely going to go on the under. This is the first team that all three of us are going to agree. Sorry, Tomlin, you're going to go under 500 this year. I have him getting no more than eight wins. Just for a simple fact, what you guys said, roster-wise, on paper, this is, while a decent team, a competitive team, still probably the worst team of this division. I'm, I'm not a picket fan. I've said that from the get-go. I know they've made some improvements to that defense on the Steelers' side of the ball. It all ties to TJ Watt. If he's out, that defense is trash, and that's basically what it boils down to every single year over the past three years now running. I don't think they've done enough personnel-wise to make that untrue for this season, and he's somebody who's had a hard time staying healthy. I don't see the Steelers. I was shocked when they did it last year, but remember, that's also because the Ravens had Lamar Jackson injury, so Dan, you kind of hit the nail on the head. If they have a bunch of Injuries to strike the division. Maybe it's a different case scenario. But right now, when everybody's healthy and all things are equal, I cannot 
think of a way the Steelers actually are going to get to nine wins again this season with that division and that team. So I'm going to also go the under. So that would make it them our number one lock pick for this show, as all three of us agreed on this. Dan, thank you so much for coming on to the show, taking the time. I know I had a lot of fun. We went over a ton of content. I hope you did as well. Please tell everybody what you got going on. What do you want them to check out and everything like that? Oh man, appreciate it, Dan, Chris. It's great to meet you guys and uh, definitely uh, talk about this stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Claskins. Uh, we got our own podcast, Fantastics Insider Football Podcast, uh, with myself and James Adams. And we're back on Saturdays and Sundays all summer long on Sirius XM Channel 87, 11 a.m. every weekend morning, anytime on the SXM app. And really getting pumped up here, fellas. Lots of drafts, lots of good stuff coming up. I hope you see you in a draft room soon. Yeah, it's it's tis the season to be. And I, I, hopefully we'll see you at the Fantasy Football Expo here soon. Are you guys making the trip? We absolutely are. We're going to be there from Thursday nights, and I don't think we're leaving until Monday morning. There we go. We there year. we go. We'll definitely have to pull up a, a beer while we're there. So uh, we, we certainly will. Chris, do you have a show with Adam coming up? We do. Start coming back next week. We'll be returning, getting back into some of the, you know, Tips of who you build on your dynasty team, who are some of the guys you're overlooking, some of the guys you need to consider. So stay tuned next Tuesday. Absolutely. And next Thursday at the same time, 930, we got Jim Coventry coming on to talk a little uh, NFC South next week. Yeah, I'm getting all my outlines mixed oh, up. NFC you gave, South. You gave Jim the crappiest of I know. <laughs> I know. I felt so bad for him, but uh, he was gracious enough to still come on. I told him ahead of time it was the NFC South, and he was still he was still nice enough to come on anyway. So we look there forward to that next week. Guys, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell notification if you haven't done so already, and download us on your favorite podcast app. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you, and we'll see you next week. 